Welcome to the International Civil Society Center's Futures and Innovation Podcast. I'm Thomas Howey, the Communications Manager at the International Civil Society Center. Today, we have a very special joint podcast with Tosca. Hey, Tosca, please, can you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about yourself? Thank you. Of course. Thank you, Tom. So I'm Tosca, Tosca Bruno van Vijfijken, and I'm the principal consultant at Five Oaks Consulting, my own consulting practice. Before this, I was uh, what I call jokingly an accidental pracademic at Syracuse University here in the US, although I'm Dutch by origin. And before that, I was an international development practitioner uh, working with NGOs at the World Bank and with the United Nations and a Dutch think tank. And I have really enjoyed my, um, my role in helping the uh, center both design and co-facilitate at uh, the Leading Together uh, session. And I was also happy to do a short presentation there on leadership during crisis. Back to you, Tom. Great. And uh, Tosca is also the host of NGO Soul and Strategy, where this podcast will also appear. An excellent must-listen podcast for anybody who is in our sector. You should definitely go and check it out on your podcast provider ASAP. And as Tosca referred to, uh, she was involved in Leading Together. And that's what our podcast is all about today, Leading Together During Times of Crisis. The center recently held a virtual event with leaders from the international civil society sector from around the world to discuss how the various aspects of ICSO's programming, advocacy and human resources should act and act together during these times, having mutual exchange and learning. This podcast has three sections. First, you will hear Wolfgang, our executive director, Tosca and me give some background, introduce the event. Then you'll hear from two of our excellent participants, Jayenta and Aida. And then finally, back to Wolfgang, Tosca and me to reflect on their input and the event in general. We hope you enjoy. Good to be with you today, Wolfgang. Um, so we're looking ahead to uh, this event, uh, Leading Together. So the first question is, what is it? Who comes there? And what is the idea behind the event? Thanks, Tom. So the Leading Together event is what it says. It is bringing together leaders and the sector. Um, leaders meaning people who have responsibility in international civil society organizations, leading on human resources, on program development and implementation, and also on policy and advocacy. It's a format that the center has been entertaining for the last six years. and. Um, those leadership groups have turned into trusted communities where colleagues uh, share with each other both concerns and challenges that they have, provide mutual support, and of course, think about some collaborative or joint actions that um, might come out of the big issues we're facing. So, Tosca, over to you. Yeah, so, so in what ways, Wolfgang, do you think the pandemic is creating the need for crisis leadership in ICSOs or international civil society organizations? It's a very interesting question because by nature, civil society organizations have to deal, have to deal with crises. Uh, we deal with natural disasters, with conflicts, we deal with domestic crises, uh, we have to navigate our organizations through hostile political climates. So it's nothing that is very alien to us. I think it's something that 
people have learned to cope with in a very proactive and uh, forward-looking way. Of course, the the pandemic uh, that has come upon us uh, earlier this year has been dubbed by many now a crisis on top of several other crises. And it's something that has maybe one or two distinct features that, that challenge or maybe overburden our ability to deal with with difficult situations. One of the features is um, the huge level of uncertainty that is connected to COVID-19 um, itself as a pandemic, but also the implications and impacts it has on different people in the world. And as a leader, you're basically, and forgive me to simplify a little bit, you're basically supposed to do two things. Uh, you have to take care of the people you lead, your staff, the colleagues, bring them along, make sure you know they perform well, they feel okay, um, all of this. The second task of a leader is uh, to provide direction. Now, we do all kinds of other things, we role models and the like, but if, if we stay at these two big tasks that we have, I would say taking care of our staff, of the organizations, of the people that work for us and we work for has been already a huge task but maybe not quite as huge as a task of providing direction in these times of uncertainty. We are supposed to provide direction um, and we're supposed to help our organizations and people to navigate such uncertain times. And that's, I think, what, what, what brought people together in this meeting and, and, and get our heads around how do we do this. Yeah, understood. Back to you, Tom. Yeah, obviously you mentioned uh, COVID-19, if I recall, back in January or so, when we started thinking about this event, uh, COVID-19 was uh, barely even in the news. Um, and now it's obviously come to play a huge part in all of our lives. Um, just quickly give us an idea of how, what if, impact the pandemic has had on, on the event, the logistics and, and the focus a bit. Yeah, I think we, uh, <laughs> we do what everyone does right now, spending lots of time on the screen. Uh, both the center and uh, many of our collaborators and, of course, the organizations we work with have fairly quickly adapted to working digitally. Uh, and that's maybe one of the findings over the last couple of months, um, how agile and how, you know, maybe comfortable people have been in changing their, their work mode. Also, the agility that is, that is required in uh, giving each other support. Um, has been uh, fairly notable. Um, uh, it is it is difficult if you if you are not in the same room, if you cannot experience the same environment and the like. Of course, we all know this, but I think the the positive side of uh, dealing with the pandemic has been a very quick and adaptive uh, mode of reaction. And maybe one additional piece of information: we did a little poll with our CEOs also last week in terms of how they assess the ability or their own organization's ability to deal with the crisis short-term and long-term. And almost everyone said short-term, we've been doing pretty well. And you know, this is not uh, you know, tapping on your own shoulder. I think it's, it's reflecting on reality that yes, we've been doing okay. But the long-term impact um, and the uncertainty of the impact is something that uh, worries people. And now we are turning to a short interview 
with Aida Rehuma, who is the lead for global programming and impact uh, at the World YMCA, that is the Young Women's Christian Association. Do I have that right, Aida? It's the World YWCA. The World YMCA are great colleagues who also have a rich history of, of partnership with us, but who look after youth leadership in general. My mistake. Thank you so much for, for, for correcting that. Aida was also, um, has also had other leadership roles at the World YWCA and has interesting also had leadership roles at the World Economic Forum and has worked on corporate responsibility in the private sector and other roles. So you have a very interesting background. And I think that that also showed last week when you were participating in the Leading Together session of the International Civil Society Center. So Ida, we're now a week later. And so you've had a bit of time to reflect on what we discussed at Leading Together. So what struck you about the nature of the decisions, uh, of the discussion, sorry, that we had there? And what are one or two key takeaways that you took away for your leadership role in the world YWCA? Um, thank you, Duska, and thank you for uh, asking me to participate um, to this meeting today. Um, I think one thing that really struck me is first how much I had sort of gone into that bubble of thinking I was a bit alone in the struggles that I was having as a senior manager of a global organization and thinking that basically there were some solutions out there, but I didn't know them. I didn't have the experience. And I think it was uh, both sobering and reassuring to interact with people who had you know, 20, 30 years of experience in different um, settings, working in the field, working at global, national, regional levels, and realizing that basically not many people had been prepared for that type of uh, crisis, for its suddenness, for its impact, um, and also for some of the questions that such a kind of a move or a change would pose to their organization themselves, and I would say also in their personal circles. So I think that's the first thing that struck me, really that sense of actually we're really not alone. Um, and the second thing that struck me is um, the center has this quality of conveying organizations of varying sizes, um, varying budgets, um, and that have very different mm -hmm. structures. And it was quite amazing to see that, well, a lot of these organizations, including ours, have some of their core resources, core staffing in the global north. And I felt that some of what came out of this crisis was really reflections about how such a crisis is a great, great equalizer. And um, I think we talked a little bit during the call about um, the different meetings that I was attending um, last week. We really talked about how actually some of the people we work with um, in our communities, um, in countries, in local, we've, they've been working, they've had to adapt and work remotely in conditions that are not suboptimal um, to participate fully. And although we put all the efforts to make sure that works well, um, I don't think if you haven't lived that reality of being in a place where you know your internet doesn't work or you can't do anything, you can't convene people physically, it's unsafe. Um, I don't think you can really do anything about it if you haven't had that experience. And I felt that was some of the things that the managers and the senior leaders we had in the calls, they were really echoing this sense of, okay, now I'm in it as well. My colleagues are in it. We're globally in it. How do we look at it as a problem of the system and as, as civil society organization 
who are aiming to serve their communities. How mm -hmm. are we continuing to do this while sort of um, thinking about how we fix it for ourselves? How do we find new ways of working? What does it mean about how we work usually? And I think those were really my two key um, realizations. Tell me a little bit more about those new ways of working. What do you foresee in a post-pandemic world um, that will be different in terms of ways of working internally in the organization, in your NGO and externally? Um, and which international civil society organizations will be most resilient and adaptive in coming out at the other end? Yeah, well, I think it's, it's a hard question. You'd need to, a bit of a magic eight ball to, to figure that one out. But I do feel very strongly that, at least in our experience as the Worldwide MUCA, we had started already a kind of a deep rethink about how we work as an international secretariat with the associations um, that are a member of the YWCA who operate at national level, who themselves have local chapters, local service providing centers. How do we make sure that we have the right ways of communicating, of interacting and of engaging? And I think already in the past years as an international secretariat, we have this role also to engage with global platform or global mechanisms, global actors, to go to the Human Rights Council or to the Commission on the Status of Women. And there was already a sense of unease of, do, should we engage in that way? You know, should we be traveling the world like this? Should we use a model of um, amplifying the voices of young women by choosing a few, bringing them along, bringing them to a particular platform? Um, what does it say about the sustainability of how we work and what does it say to our commitment to really work in partnership with the communities and the local and national actors and i think what has happened through um, the crisis and the impact of the covid is some of the risk averseness or some of the burgeoning innovations in terms of really thinking about what does that mean to work in partnership or collaborate with a young women leader that's in rural Samoa or in rural Tanzania? What are some of the ways to do that which aren't about um, engaging through bringing someone on a plane or um, making sure they participate to an ongoing forum? And we had some things on our shelves that, you know, our back donors or partners weren't so excited about. They were like, this is costly, this is long, it would require to uh, translate, localize. Um, I don't think it would work because some people would not like the technology. But really, we would never get to the threshold of being able to test it and, and right. test it. And I think that's what we've been doing. And, I, and you were talking about which organization or civil society organization would come out of this. I think it will be the civil society organizations or just generally NGOs or, or, or partners that want to work on civil society sort of issues and challenges that are willing to go a little bit beyond what their risk comfort level is and say, you know what, we don't have all the answers, but let's see and, and, and push it a bit forward to test it, to pilot it, to Got do it. a bit of a trial and error mechanism and build resilience through that. So not resilience in the sense of you withstand everything and you always come out on top, but rather resilience in the sense that you are willing to fail, you're willing to learn, 
um, and you're willing to sort of do it several times and not take it failure and work with your back donors, work with other partners to try to bring them to your sort of type of thinking about it. So really the approach rather than the process. That's, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. Those are my reflections at this time. Yeah, makes sense. Over to you, Tom. Yeah, no, I think uh, it's really interesting uh, what you're saying about uh, being able to break through to new ways of working because obviously you mentioned during the together that Worldwide WCA already has uh, experience uh, flexible working. So I'm just wondering, you know, what was that like? Yes, thank you, Tom. Um, I think there are different levels here. So when we talk about the Worldwide WCA practicing flexible working, we're truly talking about the International Secretariat, which currently has 12 uh, staff members um, and it's 12 women uh, working there. We also have a wonderful uh, caretaker for our office and garden, who's a man. And the idea of flexible working was really something that was brought on by our general secretary, who spoke about her experience of looking at work as a continuum and um, being knowledge workers. I think the concept of you know, having a nine to five it's, it's not bad per se, it's great. And it, it, it was the source of great advances in terms of like uh, what we gained as workers in terms of rights. But I think the idea that a knowledge worker, there's, there are ebbs and flows to how you work with knowledge and how you collaborate and you develop this. And I think the flexible working came very naturally first because it's actually a better way to produce things because you do it when you're most effective at doing it. And the second thing is, we are sort of standing on a, the heritage and the legacy of a, a movement that is 150 years old, committed to the rights of women and to uh, feminist principles. And, and how can you do that if you don't consider the lived realities of the people you employ? And in our office, we have you know, different generations. We have people who are at different stages in their life, who have different um, responsibility in terms of care, in terms of their personal lives and we feel that this is something that you need to take into account if you want to be able to work as a team and the first step was really to say how can we introduce some flexibility and this is how flexible working came through and I think it also came through because we tend to also work very closely and more and more with um, young women leaders who are in regions who are in country who want to be involved yes they're involved in their communities but they have great interest in being co-designers, co-leaders of international processes, which means that you know you have to work at odd hours sometimes. Does that mean the next day you should show up at 8 a.m.? I don't think so. So I think this is another aspect of it. And I think the last aspect is again, this philosophy of trying new things and, um, and sort of saying, okay, we're not gonna go from one day to the next, just um, like what we did during COVID, which was to all go working from home. But how are the ways that you can test those theories, test those assumptions, um, see like if there are ways that you can do things in a differently? And I think the crisis just revealed that some of the first steps we had taken in terms of allowing people to sort of regain a sense of autonomy, of responsibility, and how they work their day with their team managers, etc., it allowed us to move that much quicker to this kind of emergency situation where we all went home. It meant we had some basic infrastructures in place when we talk about very technical things like a VPN, so a safe access to the server, uh, our data on the cloud, secured, uh, remote management of our IT by an external company, very s- things that seem basic, but if you have to put that um, through, 
in a time of crisis, well, you, you, you'll be sad that you haven't done it before. And, uh, and I think for the future, it just means that we're going to continue to improve, review, and think about what was successful during that time. And also open the door for people to think about it in their own personal journey. I was personally not convinced at all that I could work from home. I was a very big believer in, um, you know, one environment, one task, one activity. And I discovered that there were ways that this could work for me. And it opened a completely different way of looking at the requests of uh, people who work for me, who might have a preference for this. And I was a little bit reluctant. And I think now I'll be less reluctant because I've actually tried it. Um, and that goes back to what we were discussing about resilience in many different ways. Good point. Thank you for that idea. So uh, Tom and I had one more question. Um, we also talked during the plenary session of Leading Together about leadership under crisis, during crisis, right? And we talked among others, among others about leading self and leading others in crisis. So what were for you one or two takeaways that you are now trying to adopt yourself as an individual leader, as you lead yourself and lead others? Yeah. Um, yeah, so just to go perhaps on the last point I was making, I think my last thing was I was very fearful. I really had a strong idea. I said, if I want to be work from, working from home, I'd be a consultant and I'd charge more per day. And so I had all these really strong, strong opinions about it. And I think the first learning was that was actually you can find a way to make it work, but you just have to try. And, um, and I think it was also very important, particularly at the beginning when we switched very quickly from one situation to the other, I think I realized that in the virtual space, um, I needed to be very explicit and very intentional about what I felt was okay in terms of resenting the situation. Um, whether it was from myself or from my colleagues, like really giving that space for people to vent and to say, this is really uncomfortable. And people would express it in, di in different ways. It could be their um, workspace or it could be their mental state or it could be um, just a general sort of feeling of like, oh my God, this is very overwhelming. So for me, I was like, I need to create a space for myself to, vet, to make peace with whatever I want to make peace with. And then do the same and facilitate it in a very explicit way with the people that depend on me as their manager. Um, I think I also became very clear with this period that there is no such thing as one size fits all. So one way of managing my team that worked three months ago where we had a certain type of frequency of meetings, a way of updating each other in writing versus um, by phone, etc., that we needed to change and that that change was not going to be set in stone, that you'd have to adapt and check in all along the way. And actually, I feel that this is something I had been doing before, but not very consciously. And now when we will return to our offices, which is scheduled for, I think, in 10 days, um, I will apply that a lot more. Like the idea that really those changes, they are constantly happening and you need to be the person that's sort of attuned to it and explicitly bringing them up to the team that you lead or the team with whom you lead. So my colleagues on the senior management um, team, because they do make a break what a small organizational team can do. I think if we were 100 people, that would be very different. But 12, it almost starts to function like an organism 
where you kind of always need to to sort of prevent things from from going one way or another. So that's a big learning for me, intentional. And I think the other learning that I really had is actually quite a positive thing, and um, which is that some of the things I had developed earlier on working in high pressured environment um, in my sort of early, the early part of my career, um, I had really developed a form of resilience to a big tolerance to change, big tolerance to um, the concept of multi the multiplicity of factors, the complexity in the world in which we live, which had really taught me that there are some things that at some point you just need to take out that information if you want to move forward. So kind of this ability to manage information and to say there's such a thing about information overload. And that sort of ability to prioritize, ability to sort of recenter and say, okay, I first fix myself, then I fix others. Those are things that I could really rely on. And uh, we even discussed as a sort of a senior management team that as we go back and we go into the new normal, whatever that is, we want to help colleagues also to find whatever centers them because it's different for each person. What centers you in being able to propel yourself forward or bounce forward, as you would say, uh, Tosca. Yeah. So those are the things I learned, I would say. Oh, that's that's a terrific summary. I really also uh, like that last point about that you first have to quote unquote fix yourself before you can fix others, right? And and uh, centering and. Is, is very important that. Well, thank you, Aida, for, this, uh, for the insights you shared with us in this mini interview. I wish you and I wish the World YWCA a lot of wisdom as it navigates uh, in these turbulent waters. Thank you, Tosca. Thank you, Tom. And now I would like to turn to one of the participants in uh, at the Leading Together session of the International Civil Society Center, and that is Julianta Bora. And Gianta is the Executive Director for Global Human Resources at Plan International. Gianta and I have known each other for, I think, about 10 years, right? Yeah. From your time and my time collaborating with um, you and many others at ActionAid. Gianta was the Head of Human Resources, Organizational Development and Operations at ActionAid. Um, and earlier, and I found this interesting, uh, you've had jobs both in the private sector as well as in Oxfam and other NGOs. So you have uh, yeah. crossed sectors a bit. Well, so let us um, hear you a little bit about how you're reflecting on the Leading Together um, meetings. Now that you've had a, time, a bit of time to reflect on what we discussed, what struck you most about the nature of the discussions we had at Leading Together in this era of the pandemic? Thanks, Tosca, and thanks for your kind words and introduction. And it's always a pleasure uh, to be engaging on, you know, something so interesting. Uh, just on reflection of our, you know, kind of virtual session across span across two days. Uh, a common thing that struck me was that there was we were in the same boat. The thematic issues, the challenges of the COVID pandemic, as well as you know the context, uh, was very similar across organizations. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, uh, in terms of scale and scope, uh, large organizations which have operations across the globe, which are complex, uh, will have to deal with a little bit more, uh, you know, kind of level of complexity that that perhaps you know organizations which, uh, you know, in terms of size and scope would be uh, not dealing with. But uh, the key issues were the were the same. Um, interestingly, I think that comes to my mind is leadership. Uh, you know. 
how to position leadership in time of crisis uh, was was something very key. Uh, we we felt that you know leadership actually needed to push a notch up while you're leading in difficult circumstances and also virtually in a mm -hmm. digital world in a new world. And um, the whole uh, element of balance of you know clarity versus certainty. Uh, mm -hmm. To an extent, you know, uh, as we call it, this also we we heard you heard from you in terms of selective vulnerability of leadership, uh, positioning that. Um, but there were some very interesting insights in terms of the the situation actually gave us an opportunity. So it's like uh, leveraging on a, a, a on on the challenge. So it was a leverage for many organizations. I think a couple of things that come to my mind is there has been a better sense of collaboration within the sector. Because obviously, you know, um, being virtual uh, gave us a high opportunity or you know greater opportunity to, to to leverage on our connect and collaboration. So and then we're dealing with common teams. Uh, insights to networking. I think uh, pre-COVID and and post-COVID, uh, the networking you know volume would have gone up three times. So you had opportunity to network with individuals, with peers, professionals across the sector as well as you know uh, you know outside the sector. Uh, that that was a huge uh, leverage. Uh, something that came out very strongly was never done before. So things that were actually thought that we couldn't do mm. were done in a different way, uh, and we can call it never done before. Specifically, you know, virtual. The virtuality helped us with better insights to data, consolidation of data, analytics. Um, you know, also you know, kind of having quick pulse uh, surveys, polls. To get insights that help us actually in our you know in our programming or in campaigns or in advocacy. Um, the other point that came out quite clearly was the digital leveler. So sometimes uh, when you're when you're in a pre uh, pre COVID uh, context, uh, we we perhaps have this whole element of we you know belonging to a certain geography, operating from a certain headquarters or the regional hub, and you know country offices and community spaces. Um, the COVID space actually gave us uh, this opportunity of, you know, uh, engaging digitally, and it was a great leveler uh, to an extent. Um, I think the other one that came out very strongly, the theme thematically, was the whole importance of holistic well-being and mental health, mm. which earlier I think even though was on the radar, uh, but it got positioned differently. Uh, so mental health and well-being, a duty of care as as uh, employers, as organizations, uh, that got positioned, you know, in a in a very strategic manner, uh, and and it did come out as you know as one of the most important things as we go further into this whole situation, that it would actually gain more and more prominence. Um, so I think these I think were some of the key elements that came through, and of course the culture shift, how how things were fast tracked. In terms of you know enabling, uh, creating an enabling culture in the virtual world, uh, you know looking at how you anchor that through your values and you know core values that you know within all the participants that we had, everyone spoke about how you go back to your values and anchor yourself and then you know play that out uh, in a virtual world. So those were some of the interesting common themes that emerged that I really felt was uh, very insightful. Very meaningful. Yeah, this is why. Uh, I wanted to have you talk, Jayanta, because you have such a, a truly such an impressive way of of uh, quickly synthesizing a whole bunch of interesting themes. And just for our audiences, I, I mean that. Um, for our audience, I want to 
recap some of them, and I can't do justice to everything you said, but this issue of uh, the fact that we need to see clarity, but we cannot have certainty, and the fact that you said uh, innovation happened like never before because we had to. Uh, I love the term of digital lever. Uh, that would prompt for me the question, do you think that power really is going to be redistributed in ICSOs, international civil society organizations, the holistic well-being of staff, um, as well as, as people in our communities where we work, and culture shift. Um, but yeah, let me follow up a little bit on that digital lever. Do you think this will make a long-lasting difference? Um, in a way, I think it's like a double-edged sword. So we earlier had inequality, and then we had digital inequality, because obviously, you know, when we talk about our own staff, you know, who work on remote uh, locations, uh, you know, in difficult circumstances where, you know, even getting a proper connectivity is an issue. And then, of yeah. course, you know, the whole disproportionate power and privilege, because they operate from, especially if you're working from home, uh, in a space where, you know, they have caregiving responsibilities, perhaps in just a one-room house, there are five, you know, uh, you know, family members. Uh, so obviously those challenges will always be there. But the I think one important part of this digital level uh, leveler is everyone can kind of participate and then make their voice being heard. Um, and you know, with uh, some of the digital tools, which is enabling uh, in a sense that. Uh, there is also a persona that you bring into the digital space, mm. uh, which is quite different when you're physically or, you know, where, you know, some people are physically present in a meeting room and you connect digitally. You always feel, uh, yeah. you know, there is a sense of exclusion, though, yes. you know, and because of various elements. Uh, so I think that that leveler is uh, very important in a way that people feel that they feel more included. Uh, they feel more inclusive. Uh, you know, it's more inclusive. Um, and at the same time, of course, the challenges of connectivity, you know, speeds, of course, those are always there. Um, but we try and see how best as an, org as an organization we then are able to enable that. Mm. I mean, looking at the telecom spectra, you know, 4G literally has become, you know, a part of everyone's life because yep. the penetrations are so high. So internet speeds obviously are operating at a, in a certain threshold that enable us to have this connectivity, have this yeah. conversation. So that has been very enabling. But at the same time, as we said, you know, our values of inclusivity, empowerment, that needs to be played out most strongly in, in the digital sense. So then it becomes an even bigger leveler mm. as, as, as we want to hear people speak, uh, want them to participate in an unbiased manner. Yeah, yeah. So that's where we're coming from. Understood. So let me move on and asking you, as you left those two days of virtual gatherings, what concerned you most about the sector of international civil society in terms of living up to the challenges ahead for it. And let's face it, we're looking at, financially speaking, most likely pretty challenging and at times of constraint. What concerned you most as you left the gathering and what gave you hope or perspective? I think um, in, in your answer actually to the first question, you already gave us some sense of what gave you hope, but uh, talk to me about both these things, please. Mm. Yeah, challenges, I think uh, maybe this is like a it's like a wake-up call or maybe it's like a huge trigger for us to think what is the future of intermediaries or uh, civic society organizations going forward. Uh, will our operating model, business models, uh, will they be sustainable enough in the, in the future? Because we don't know how long 
the impact uh, of this whole uh, COVID context will 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 have. Uh, we already have seen that many economies are shrinking. It's going back to recession as worst as it was in perhaps World War II. Uh, you know, economists are you know kind of giving out uh, analysis as well as you know prediction. Um, that the future is going to be daunting and challenging. Mm. So that one thing that really concerned me was therefore was what therefore is the future? Do we have to make some transformative changes in the way we operate, um, in the way we actually look at our, um, you know, our, our resourcing in terms of our income, in terms of how we actually uh, leverage on that and you know create impact at uh, at the last uh, last mile at the community mm. level. Mm. Making a difference to the girl, child, or children, or you know, from a rights perspective. Uh, so that I think is going to be a challenge because, needless to say, if the economy is shrinking in a way, and that's global. I mean, it's not that um, you know it's going to be uh, differentiated regionally. Um, so obviously, that would have an impact on overall future-proofing of organizations financially. So financially, um, in one way or the other, if it was sourcing um, is not uh, robust. Uh, obviously, then we will have to prioritize. And yeah, what are the choices therefore that we make is based again on I think the element of clarity versus uh, you know uh, <laughs> uh, whether you are uh, certain and the certainty and clarity. So clarity definitely is there. I mean, it's good to have clarity of you know what what the next steps would be, what would happen and unfurl in the next twelve to eighteen months or even twenty four months. But with certainty, can we therefore predict that this is what is going to happen? And you know, are we risk averse? Uh, do we actually then take the risk based on that you know level of certainty? Um, that is something which also alarmed me to an extent because we are in mm. a flux. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I think the positive part is every challenge brings opportunities. So how do we leverage on them? And I think we have seen some fantastic examples, as we said, especially innovation, never done before uh, in terms of actually uh, leveraging on digitization uh, digital you know workways uh, leading virtual teams uh, being still be able to keep the momentum uh, so these are some very positive aspect of you know that uh, leaders actually leading teams in 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 a you know in a crisis situation and mm -hmm. not letting go of the momentum but mm -hmm. at the same time i think bringing that balance of holistic well-being of you know kind of having having the right space to do work and uh, and and the essence of you know balancing obviously you know when you're working from home your well-being so i think that is that is i think also extremely important and and that has been acknowledged okay so think, um, mm -hmm. yeah that 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 would you know in a crux yeah uh, be what the challenges and opportunities were so then I'm going to end with a two-pronged question. One is for you individually as a leader, mm -hmm. in terms of your individual leadership behaviors and actions. What are one or two uh, takeaways that you are now trying to apply as a leader individually? Mm -hmm. And the second thing is I threw a challenge um, to the, the group of uh, human resource directors at the end and said, um, what are your strategic thoughts about how to redesign the work experience for staff, in your case, in Plan International, beyond the obvious immediate impacts of virtual collaboration and uh, um, virtual ways of working? Mm -hmm. So what would be your answers to those two questions? 
how do you see the, the, the future on the employee experience in Plan International? And what will you do differently as a leader in terms of your behaviors and actions after this meeting? So I think the first one, uh, thanks, Oscar. The first one would be about uh, relooking at employee life cycle experience. So it will not be the same. Uh, even in this moment uh, of past three plus months, we still have recruited resources, colleagues. We still have had digital on online onboarding, uh, induction, and people have actually gotten to work straight from home mm. uh, and still working from home. And uh, you know that's the way they got inducted into the organization. Um, I think some of the learnings from there would be, you know, what what therefore would be the key enablers of of enhancing that employee experience, and 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 uh, you know how would we we could benefit from there. Uh, we also I think have uh, you know got gotten into this space of digital platform of learning, so learning and development has gone to a digital platform um, yep. where people can access the resources, uh, they can actually you know kind of complete courses. Um, and, yeah. and, and of course, it's it's a learning experience, you know. So what does that mean uh, for people? You know, do they learn better? Um, yeah. You know, in a sense, and you know, how does it you know kind of vary from the blended approach or a face-to-face approach, or even you know doing projects at work? Um, a simple thing like a performance management system. Uh, oh that yeah. We have actually now realized that in this in this difficult circumstances, um, how can we make it more enabling and make it meaningful? Where we have continuous feedback dialogues, where we don't actually, you know, kind of go to the rigor of filling in, uh, you know, everything on the system, making it difficult, uh, but you know, have a summary of the discussion, development needs, uh, and then key achievements, um, and how how it can be actually a positive experience. So you know, a life touch review, as we call it, mm. and it should be continuous. Um, at the same time, we also must acknowledge that. The new normal, as we call it, we will get to a new normal very soon. And we want to call that normal. That's fine. So we did this one with a new normal. How do we integrate back our colleagues and uh, you know our, our peers and staff and in, into the organization as, as we as we go through this journey? What would it mean? Um, you know, it's also a very good pilot, a model to you know, kind of evidence that yes, we could work from home, we can work virtually, we can be effective. And of course, there are some roles that can't. And in the sense, um, you know, they could be repurposed and they could actually you know, start, uh, start you know, coming, integrating back to the office space soon, but it'll be a mix and blend. So then that's the new ways of working. And Got it. Uh, yeah, and personally, me as a leader, I think fundamentally, you'll have to go back to your values and consistently practice them. Um, I think there is a higher sense of awareness in, in practicing those values in a consistent manner, especially, especially when you're in a digital space. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you've got to walk your talk, you know, at the end of it. Um, and um, that care and concern uh, that impacts credibility will have to be consistent. Uh, you have to own your teams. You, you know, you have, genu- you have to bring your authentic self on, on the digital way uh, in terms of, uh, you know, virtually interacting with people. And yeah. continue to show that even when we integrate back and meet face to face in the office. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, uh, it's a number of these, uh, you know, factors that uh, that we'll have to, you know, kind of think about and reflect. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I would say those last couple of comments are particularly important in this time of, of leadership during during a crisis situation. So thank you very much, Gianta. I really enjoyed it, how you shared your insights about the things you learned at the Leading Together uh, meeting of the International Civil Society Center. Um, I wish you a lot of wisdom, which you already have a lot of, and stamina as you navigate these, these turbulent um, waters together with all your colleagues at Plan International. Thank you. Thanks so much, Tosca. So, Wolfgang, um, we just heard two really interesting inputs there from Jayanta and Aida. Um, they were some of the, the thoughts of, of the participants of the event and give it a bit of an insight into the discussions. Um, so obviously you've had a bit of time to reflect on the event and, and, and what um, Jayanta and Aida have just said. Um, what stood out for you um, in the discussions of the event? I mean, both Jayanta and Aida, you know, brought, came from different perspectives. Jayanta being a um, an HR leader in his own organization, Aida has a more focus on program quality and impact. But you could see, and we saw this during the the entire um, event, that irrespective of where you sit in the leadership of the organization, there's a lot of things that concern you uh, uh, together. Um, one of the questions was, of course, <laughs> the digital uh, labor. I think that was mentioned, um, which is Actually, I'm not sure I got it right, lever or leveler, but both of it is is, is happening. Um, on the one hand, I think digital uh, technology is helping us to accelerate uh, some of the work we're doing. And mind you, uh, we did also talk to some of the policy directors, and they said digital technology allows us much more than before to access, let's say, the higher echelons in the, in the UN and, and the government. Because, you know, it's much easier to get them on screen than hunt them down when they're uh, having a, a break between uh, you know, big travel schedules. Um, and at the same time, of course, digital technology helps us to um, communicate with each other much more often and uh, also include people in our discussions that maybe are otherwise difficult to include. The downside or the dangers, of course, and we all know this, that the digital divide that is out there um, you know, 1.5 to 2 billion people who don't have either proper access to the internet, who don't have the skills, who are not empowered, who are um, who are not in, in possession of, of the necessary devices, are possibly excluded, and um, and that makes that makes a difference, and it poses a huge challenge for us who are depending on being in touch with them, who um, want to give them the voice or help them articulate themselves. Um, so there's a bit of upside and downside around this um, um, the digital uh, technology. But, but does that surprise you in any way that, um, I mean, if I'm a bit bold, is it a, is it a power shift within organizations? And uh, how do you react to that? Like, what's your, what's your thoughts on, on this coming up in this way? So it's not surprising in that it happens, but you know, I think what it shows is that the acceleration that is caused by the pandemic to both some of the huge inequalities we're trying to deal with, 
um, but also the possibilities to deal with them is something that uh, we have to focus on. Um, this pandemic has, for many, many people, literally slowed down their existence. We know this through lockdowns and losing jobs and the like. But it also has accelerated a lot of things that we do. And many of us in the sector um, work <laughs> much more on the screen, spend much more time on also you know, following the opportunities that are out there. And uh, you know, the surprise is um, that, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing this a bit positive now that we're able to cope and that mm -hmm. we're able to use this in a, in a positive way. You speak about power shift now. Um, that's a slightly different discussion, of course, because we know that um, you know power shift and localization agendas were pushed already uh, through the humanitarian summit a couple of years ago in Istanbul and other initiatives. You know the power shift towards localization, uh, shifting powers power to the people we serve. And again, I think the COVID-19 pandemic is in a positive way, accelerating this necessary power shift. Yeah, and obviously, um, just one quick question to follow up uh, before I hand over again to Tosca, because we, yeah, we talk about um, the digital leveling, I guess, as a concept within the ICSOs, but we also um, had discussions with the uh, uh, program and advocacy colleagues, um, which I, I um, wasn't part of I didn't hear what was going on there so give us an insight into the kind of things that they were talking about uh, during uh, their discussions so you know we we dove deep into quite a number of issues and you know there might be too uh, too detailed to, uh, to to be able to transport transport it into a podcast like this but let me use an image um, people talked about the question um, are we meaning people you know and the civil society organizations here internationally local partners, uh, beneficiaries, uh, people we work for, or donors, aren't we all in the same boat? And you know, it's a nice image to have, but no, we are not. Um, someone said we are possibly in the same ocean here, but some are on fairly comfortable vessels, some others are hanging on to, to planks, uh, or barely you know, trying to keep above the water. And you know, when you talk with people who are very close to where the action is, you know, the program director, those who are based in the operational areas, the policy directors who are speaking on behalf of people who are in trouble, um, that was a shared sentiment. That's something that we need to be aware of. We are probably in the same uh, type of problem, but we have different means to deal with them. And um, that's a responsibility that comes um, particularly to international civil society organizations with good resource flow, good donor support and the like. And how do we make sure that, that a lot of that is being shifted and made available to um, the people we work for? Mm. Over to you, Tosca. Yeah, Wolfgang, as we come to our last question, um, how do you assess the effectiveness of the, uh, of the crisis leadership that you observe in our ICSOs, the members of your center, but also the, the broader sector. How do you assess the effectiveness of the crisis leadership? Yeah, I'll give um, a frank and cautious answer. And, you know, heads up, Tosca, I'll also ask you because you are also, uh, you know, close enough to the sector to uh, be able to share your own observations. Um, Fair enough. Um, 
So I think in terms of um, you know responses uh, and leadership uh, reactions and the skills to deal with this, uh, it was quite impressive to see how people were quickly reacting and providing what people needed. Now a few exceptions here and there, and um, you know there's there's always a, a bad story to share. But I think overall, I think people reacted uh, quite impressively. By the way, leadership levels uh, everywhere. I mean, people on the ground became incredibly creative to deal with the urgent and immediate uh, challenges that came. Now, what has not happened so far, and um, here we have um, um, either a deficit or work to do, or we have to raise our ambition, is to move into the, the strategic bit. As I said earlier, uh, a leader needs to provide direction, needs to be strategic, needs to figure out what opportunities are related uh, to this crisis. And how do we make sure that some of the things we've been grappling with for decades can now be positively accelerated? And um, I wish, I, I really wish, and the center is trying to help our leaders uh, getting into that space, that um, those very smart and, and, and well-meaning leaders will be released to a certain extent from the operational nightmares they're in right now, mm. continuing, you know, maintaining business continuity, taking care of the urgent and the immediate, and started mean, starting to, to co-create and, and shape the transformations that we want to see. But again, Tosta, you know, you've been there, done that. Uh, you might have um, made some different uh, or similar observations. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think I can piggyback on to your last point about to what extent do we see um, a strategic offering of directions, including on some things maybe that the sector should have, as you already indicated, uh, should have acted on before and should have moved to before. So um, a couple of observations. Um, I am not sure that I see sufficient sense of urgency yet around both the negative, the short to medium term negative impacts of the crisis. So if we look at the funding landscape, um, the funding for uh, the members of the center and other uh, international civil society organizations has been plateauing in traditional quote unquote markets for at least five to eight years and is now likely to go down. That downward trend is likely to be reinforced by this pandemic. And I'm not sure that I see sufficient um, um, direction yet in terms of really rethinking not just country and regional uh, priorities. Uh, or programmatic priorities, but also what, how actually does our role and our niche needs to change? I think there are profound changes on the horizon. And I think it means amongst others for a number of ICSOs that they will drastically have to change their role and also their size, meaning becoming smaller. And I'm not sure I saw enough of a sense of, of um, reflecting on that as yet, but that may come. Um, secondly, um, in the human resources uh, breakout groups that I attended, I was really listening for those leaders who are already now starting to think about how do we as human resource leaders need to redesign 
the employee experience in ICSOs, because I think we are not going back to normal at all. We're really moving to a quite different normal. Um, and I hope that we will have enough strategic um, uh, ideas around how to redesign that employee experience for the future. And then finally, I was really happy, Wolfgang, to hear what you said around you. Indeed, we have seen, to the credit of the sector, a lot of agility, a lot of creativeness, a lot of quick decision making at all levels of leadership in the organizations. And I think it's really helpful if we can kind of reflect upon what made that ability to be agile, quick and creative possible and making sure that our future organizational processes and systems and norms of behavior will continue to allow for that. In other words, that the richness of creativity and agility that we have seen, that we reflect on how we can bake that into our organizations towards the future, if that makes sense. So that would be my couple of, of um, quick reactions. And so with that, uh, we have to bring this to a close. So thank you very much, Wolfgang, for all your insights. Thank you, Tom, for co-hosting this episode with me on behalf of the center. And thank you, listeners. This is Tosca, together with the International Civil Society Center. We both look forward to spending time with you in the future as we all navigate towards that future. And I'd like to... Um, uh, close with a quote from the Neuro Leadership Institute here in the U.S., who said recently, let's make sure that we all listen deeply, that we unite broadly, and that we act boldly. Thank you. Thanks to Tosca and Wolfgang for the excellent podcast we've just had. Remember to check out Tosca's podcast, NGO Soul and Strategy. And you can find out more about Leading Together and our other programs at our website, which is www.icscenter.org. See you next time.